Welcome to Inside Your Head. This is Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by the boy wonder and the canine crusader, Burt Ward. It's very good to have you here. Hello, citizen. Very good. Now, you're just talking. It's it's raining there, and you have a lot of big dogs in the house. So they have, you know, but they have to go outside to use the restroom. Uh, so, so, yeah, so what's, what's that like to, to have all those dogs there? Well, for the last 25 and a half years, my wife and I have had more than 15,500 dogs live with us. At all times, we have a minimum of 50. So, actually, we've gone to the dogs, literally. But uh, (laughs) our dogs are all housebroken. They're very loving. Um, On our website at gentlegiantsdogfood.com, if you get a chance or your listeners get a chance to go to our website, gentlegiantsdogfood.com, the first thing they'll see is a video, full-screen video, of my wife and I in bed with 50 of them. (laughs) So even during quarantine, you guys are definitely not lonely. Oh, never, never. We've got, you know, and, and, you know, it is, it's very unfortunate about the quarantine, but, you know, we've got ourselves, we've got at all times a minimum of what we call our canine kids. <laughs> and you, ne- and you never, yeah. you never forget their names having 50 of them. Uh, I, I never can remember. My wife knows all 15,500. Right. <laughs> she has a, like a, a, a visual memory. She calls it where she can, it's amazing that she can do and. I'm lucky to remember what I had for breakfast. <laughs> right. <laughs> but we love these dogs. And, you know, the key thing is here is that we've saved more than 15,500 dogs, all of which would have been put to death because they didn't have a home. And we've saved them. We cared for them. We, you know, we make this very special food called Gentle Giants. And now we have dogs living up to 27 and a half years which is just amazing. In fact, of the 50 dogs that we have here now, more than 50, probably 52 or 53, that over half of these dogs have already lived more than twice their normal lifespan. And it's because of three things, how we care for dogs and how we feed them. There's a special technique for feeding and caring. And then, of course, our Gentle Giants dog food, which is completely different from every other dog food in the world. People find that hard to believe until they try it. And it's, uh, of course, now available in all the Target stores and Walmart stores in the U.S. So we are really, uh, really happy that we're able to help people keep their dogs, you know, an extra five or ten years longer when uh, they couldn't do that up until now. Yeah, and anyone who's ever had a pet knows that's, you know, that's like losing a family member when you when you lose a pet. And to have it that, you know, that extra time is invaluable. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, the, the, the interesting thing is people say to me, well, if, if you really can have dogs living that long, they must be like barely walking. Well, let me tell you something. Our dogs, up until they go, <laughs> all right, uh, they're running around like puppies. I've got this one 25-year-old. I've got multiple ones in their 20s. But I've got, in particular, this one dog, her name is Bella. And uh, she's 25 and a half years old. 
And uh, every uh, our dogs can, because of doggy doors, they go in, they go out and, and stuff. But it's a very late at night when we're all going to go to bed. We bring everybody in. But she plays this game with me, which is make me, you know, make, catch me if you can. So I'm out in the cold and sometimes in the rain. And I'm chasing after a 25-year-old dog that just could run circles around <laughs> me. And she thinks it's fun. I don't, uh-huh. I'm not having fun chasing her out in the rain. <laughs> and she does that. And of course I catch her and I bring her in and give her a big kiss. But this is now her nightly game that she does with me. And, and I guess it's good exercise, but who wants to run out in the mud in the rain and, you know, chasing <laughs> a dog to come in with, and, uh-huh. and, and, and she just has the best time, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. but, but that just can show you. And, and, and how we've done this, is because we came up with a food that is different than everybody else's food. We don't take any money from this. This is our cherry, so my wife and I take no salary. And we just put, basically put this out at our cost because we know how much people love their pets. And believe me, you know, if you can add, like we've done, five to ten years to a dog's life and sometimes more, um, look what you do for the pet parent. I mean, mm-hmm. you just give them their best friend for another five or 10 years longer. And, but also with a better quality of life, they're more yeah. active, they're playing, they're healthy. And, you know, and, and this is our charity. And of course now in two months, we're coming out with our whole line of cat food that, uh, and, and the reason we made our cat food, believe it or not, is because last year, two of our cats died. One of them was 31 years old and oh, the other wow. was 32 years old. Guess what they were eating? Our dog food. Mm. Now, we had regular cat food there, you know, because cats do need a little bit more protein. So we kept regular cat food there, but they ate our dog food. So now we went back and we've taken the formulation of our dog food and converted it to a high energy cat food. You know, it's got all the special ingredients that cats need and the, the protein they need and the other vitamins and minerals they need. And so we, we've already got this now. We've been have it. We've been feeding it now for the last four months to our cats here, and they love it, and other people have been testing it. So in another two months, we'll have a whole line of cat food. And we're hoping that your listeners that have cats can have their cats live as long and as healthy as our cats are living. Yeah. Yeah, that's great because uh, I was lucky enough, uh, my last cat I had, Faye, I had her – uh, when I was in like the seventh grade and, and she lived until I was, uh, into my mid to late thirties. So I had her for over 20 years, which is very rare, but over 30 years is really amazing. Yeah, it, it, it is. And, but, but, you know, we're seeing this with, with, you know, our, our dogs. I mean, like, for example, now not every dog lives to 27 and a half, but let's take mm-hmm. great Danes. We have great Danes. Their traditional lifespan is seven to nine years very rare to see a great Dane that is 10 years of age. Now, our Danes are consistently living into their late teens. Our oldest Danes have lived 22, 21, and 22 years. We have like four or five of those that have lived that long. But almost all of them are living 18, 19, and this is still more than twice their normal lifespan of seven to nine years. You know, it's, 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 it, and what, and they're running around like puppies and we love them so much. And believe me, if we can find a way to make them live even longer, we will. But mm-hmm. we're pretty proud of what we've developed over the last 25 years. And uh, we consider this our charity, our life's work, you know. Well, how did funny, that? Because I was robbing, you know. I mean, of I was course. saving Gotham City. <laughs> now I'm saving, 
you know, you know, <laughs> I, I like to say I was the Cape Crusader, and now I am the Canine Crusader. Exactly, exactly, a real life superhero. Yes, and and you know, I tell you, we are encouraging people to to do things, uh, you know, out of charity for you know animal shelters and stuff like that. And even if you don't have much money, maybe you can take a blanket so a dog that has to sleep on a cement floor can you know be a little bit more comfortable on a on a blanket or a towel or something. You know, if we all just pitched in a little bit, we could raise the quality of life for our pets. Mm -hmm. Now, how did you, how did the, uh, the food come about? I assume you were just, you know, trying to come up with something to feed your own animals. And then you found out this, like, what's the origins of your dog? I'll tell you what happened 20 uh, in, in August of 1994, we found out because we had rescued a great Dane and we found out that, the other great things that were um, being or needing rescue, that the person who was the rescuer had actually died and there was nobody saving them. So they were all going to shelters and being put to sleep as gentle and loving as they are. I mean, that's why they call them gentle giants. Mm -hmm. So I said to my wife, Tracy, this is the first week in August of 1994. I said, we can't let these dogs die. I mean, we got to do something. How about, just for a couple of weeks till we find somebody else to take this over. Let's take these great Danes out of shelters. Well, she agreed, but we didn't have anybody come to us in two weeks to take this over. So by the end of the first month, we had more than a hundred great Danes at our house. Great Danes, the really big ones, you know, Mm -hmm. and we had 62 puppies under six weeks of age because we were rescuing litters from shelters. You know, uh, if a litter is born in a shelter, they usually want to get it out of the shelter just to make sure because of so many other animals that could potentially, you know, have some kind of an illness. They want to get them out of there as quickly as possible. Puppies. So we, we had all of these puppies and stuff. And, you know, it's still 25 and a half years. I'm still waiting. I'm a patient <laughs> person, but 25 and a half years waiting for someone to come in and take over this rescue. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So I, I actually tell people that I need somebody to come rescue me. <laughs> right. Robin needs needs rescuing. So, uh, but, but but to answer your question, mm-hmm. what what we did, how we came up with the idea of the food is first thing is when the dogs we didn't adopt, if they were here and they were eight or nine and we lose one, oh my gosh, Tracy and I, my wife, we we just sobbed. I mean, just tore us apart. So. We we said, look, we got to do something. We we just can't let this continue. So we we kind of vowed to ourselves that if we could find a way to help dogs and our and our Great Danes, which 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 is what we started off with first, we were only rescuing Great Danes initially. Now we have forty five different breeds. There's only a hundred and sixty four breeds of dogs, and we got forty five of them here. But mm-hmm. in any event, we, so we first developed this feeding and care program because we watched and we saw that by the way we, we, we fed them and cared for them, it actually added years to their dog's life. And your listeners can go to GentleGiantsDogFood.com. Uh, there's a menu at the top of every page, and one of the menu items is Special Feeding and Care Program. This is how we have dogs living so long. And I tell everybody, what took my wife and, and I 25 years of our life to learn you can go to our website and read and learn in less than 25 minutes. I mean, if you talk about holy productivity, right? I mean, uh-huh. that, that is incredible. But, and then so the dogs, the Great Danes, were living on average three years longer. And so our seven to nine-year-old Great Danes were living 10 to 12 years 
that by itself was an accomplishment, but we wanted more. Mm-hmm. So what happened was back in 2005, or actually 2003, we started, and our, our food ended up coming going retail 2005, but we started making our food, and we thought if we just make the finest food, you know, because we could afford it, let's make the finest food for our dogs, that maybe they could live another year or two. We didn't have great expectations, mm-hmm. but what we found out was so devastating. It changed our lives forever. When we hired these four top nutritionists, we found out something and, and what it is is this, is that dog food companies n- know something the average person doesn't know, which is the more fat content they put in dog food, the hungrier it makes dogs. And in my opinion, it's all about money. And so if you add a lot of fat to your dog's food, it makes them hungrier and hungry. It actually affects their brain to make them think they're always hungry. Kind of like if you remember... About 10 years ago, the man that went into McDonald's in Ohio, he gained 55 pounds. He ate every meal there for a month. They made a movie about him called Super Size Me. This is exactly the same principle. So what happened is because we didn't want to add any, we're not trying to sell more dog food. In fact, we initially just made it for ourselves. But then the people that would come to adopt a dog and they'd see a a 19-year-old Great Dane there, They'd say, what are you feeding your dog? Well, that's just the food we make for ourselves. They say, well, wait a minute. If I adopt a dog from you, I want that food. I don't want to just go out and buy regular food. I want that food. And we were like, oh, well, my gosh, we never intended to sell it. We, we have to comply with labeling laws and you have to, you know, all of this legal stuff. And we did all of that. And so the people that were initially getting the dogs from us were also getting the food. Mm-hmm. And then our veterinarian uh, uh, one of our veterinarians that we use, he, we brought in a, one of the dogs we adopted, which was a 16-year-old Great Dane. And, of course, they only lived seven to nine years. And this veterinarian, who had been doing spays and neuters for us for like five years, now for the first time was seeing one of our really older dogs. And, you know, he says, I see it. I just can't believe what I'm seeing. What are you feeding this dog? So we told him, and he said, I'd like to bring this in and test it on my my dogs that are, have had surgeries that are recuperating and also on some of the dogs that are boarding here. So we brought it in and after three weeks, he got rid of all the other prescription foods and everything and just brought in our dog food. Mm-hmm. And for years, he had it till he sold the business and retired. But, but the point was is that it, it worked for him. It's worked for everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's our pleasure. And so what happens with the dog, what, what, why there's such a big difference is that all the fat content that are in dogs from eating typical dog food, it actually works itself out of the dog's body in about three to four weeks. Mm-hmm. But the difference between our food and every other dog food, other dog foods put, put the fat right back in the dog. Mm-hmm. So their arteries and their intestines are all clogged with fat. Ours doesn't put the fat back in. So after that month of transition, people write to us and say, I can't believe it. I think I have a different dog. This dog that we didn't want to play anymore. He was 12 years old and all he does is sleep. Now he's running around wearing me out. Or, or my, my eight-year-old little dog that couldn't jump up in the bed for the last three years now is jumping up on the bed again. And they think this is some kind of miracle food. It's not. It's just we're not clogging their arteries and intestines with fat. We don't add any fat. We, it's not healthy for them. Just like you wouldn't take bacon grease and pour it down your garbage disposal. <laughs> 
right? right. You know, if you took bacon grease or animal fat and poured it down your garbage disposal, once it hardened, because it's not like water that evaporates, mm-hmm. animal fat coagulates. And when it's hardened, it's like cement. So when you realize that animal fat will ruin a metal garbage disposal, why would anybody feed a dog that the food is not only has been injected with fat into the food, and then you got that greasy coating of fat on the outside. It's a double whammy of fat. Mm-hmm. And so you can only imagine what it's doing to the arteries and intestines of dogs, and that shortens their lives. So we didn't discover the fountain of youth, believe me. If we did, I'd be drinking from it. But <laughs> what we are doing is we're not prematurely killing dogs. Yeah. That's what's really happening. And we've got them living healthy, running around like puppies in their mid-20s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. And uh, I'm a lover of animals, all animals. Even my, uh, I live near the forest, so I got raccoons and everything out here. But yeah, it's great. Uh, I've always had pets, and if you get extra life out of any, like you said, the quality of life, all of that's uh, just amazing. And that's really great work you you both are doing. Yeah, we love it, and we have a good time. And you know, our our dogs are like great friends. I mean, I have children too, and I love my human kids. But I right. also love my canine kids. And I will say something for the canine kids. Uh-huh. Out of the 15,500 canine kids we've had here, not one of them has asked me to buy them a car. <laughs> that's very good. That's, that, that's, always, that's a definitely a bonus, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, recently, you got, your, uh, you got your Walk of Fame star. Yes, on uh, January 9th. You know, I was, it's such a great honor. I was thrilled. Uh, to be honest with you, I've been waiting 50 years. I tell people I'm a patient person. <laughs> but 50 years, don't uh, you think? That's <laughs> a little bit long to wait. Right. Did it meet the expectations of 50 years? Oh, yes. Let me tell you, it was fantastic. Oh, we had a huge crowd. All the networks were there. It was such an honor. And let me tell you. The position of my star is such a, an honor. First of all, it's right in front of the Guinness um, Museum of World Records. Oh, nice. Which is, and actually, Adam West, who played Batman, we're still, uh, I'm still waiting for a confirmation. We're supposed to get, um, you know, in the Guinness Book of World Records as the only two actors in history that work together 50 years later. Oh, wow. So that's, that's got kind of unusual. And yeah. then... Um, so, so anyway, it's right in front of the Guinness Museum of World Records. And the way Hollywood Boulevard works with the stars, remember, people are, of course, walking in both directions. Mm-hmm. So every other star with the person, the celebrity's name faces one direction. And then the other, every other star faces the other direction. So what they did, which, which is pure genius is that they've got Adam and I facing each other, just like we talked to each other oh, that's when we nice. were you know, filming the show. And, yeah. and they're like, you know, I guess probably five feet apart, but there's mine facing his. And it's just a really cool thing, you know. And, it, uh, and, and the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce was just fantastic. They were just wonderful. And, and, and then right after that event, uh, which was at 11, like 11.30 in the morning that ran for about an hour and a half, right around the corner from the Guinness Museum of World Records is the Hollywood Museum. Mm-hmm. And my wife and I put on a special event called the Burt Ward First Annual Batusi for World <laughs> Peace Day. Uh-huh. Now, what that is is this. We got people all around the world 
to videotape some of them in Batman costumes, but some just dancing the Batusi. And the whole idea was take a break from all the stress that's going on in the world and all of the division, which of course, you know, in our country, it's just tremendous division. Mm-hmm. And let's take a break. And, and, and in the thought of, of a better, kinder world with maybe a goal of world peace, let's just all have fun for a few minutes and dance, dance the Batusi. Well, let me tell you, I've got, I've got footage from, I've got the most number one, a new show in Australia. All the TV hosts were dancing the Batusi. I've got Israeli soldiers in front of Wailing Wall, video of them dancing the Batusi. I have people from Scotland dressed as Batman and Robin in their Scottish accents dancing the Batusi and, and saying hello. And then, of course, all over the United States, all kinds of, you know, from different cities, Canada. It, it, it just and it's we're putting this together and we're going to every year try to encourage more people to just take a break from the seriousness of life and have a laugh. And at this event that we put on, we had everybody there dancing the Batusi. We brought in cosplayers. We had a Batman, a Robin, a Catwoman, a Joker, a Penguin, a Riddler. You know, we had ev- the, like the main characters all in costume dancing the Batusi along with. <laughs> I think 500 guests that we had. It was it was terrific, and that's all recorded. We're going to put it out on the internet soon. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a special event. And while we were there, because my wife and I, everything we do is for charity now. Our dog food, everything, uh, rescue is all for charity. We also created a new company called Superheroes to the Rescue. Now, what this is is to encourage people, as I said earlier in our interview to go out and do something kind, you know, for animals or for other people. Well, we gave away these awards, even though it was the day that I got an award, I, because of our charitable nature, my wife and I gave away four awards to people that have done unbelievable things. I just want to mention one of them. There is a young man that lives in the Midwest. He's an airline pilot, okay, a, a private pilot. He doesn't fly for one of the major airlines, but he's got his pilot's license, a total Batman fan. And he's got his dog. He dresses up as Batman. He dresses his dog up as Robin. And they use, they fly in his airplane to cities across the country to animal shelters. They'll land in a city where, say, uh, a dogs are going to be about to be put to sleep, but nobody in the city can take those particular breeds for whatever reason. There's nobody willing to take them. And he'll pick up these dogs from the shelter in his airplane and fly to a different state where people are waiting to rescue those dogs. And he pays for it all for it by himself. He's not funded by anybody. He has a regular day job, but he spends all his money doing this kindness for animals. And boy, we gave him a great award. And, and it's people like that that really make you think like, gosh, you know, we've we got some great people in this world. We need to really get out there and try to make it a better world for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, by the way, Dee Dee from uh, the Hollywood Museum told me to say hello to you. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh, they, that museum, if any of your listeners ever get a chance to go out to Hollywood, it's right there by Hollywood Boulevard. Mm-hmm. And it is just an absolute, I mean, it's four gigantic floors in the biggest building you can imagine. It's like a stadium or whatever. And they have every movie, every script, every costume. 
modeled mannequins with the original outfits. I, I mean, no if you wanted to see Gone with the Wind, the costumes they wore, the scripts, the, the, the intimate stories, or whatever television show, whatever movie, they have a whole floor of Batman. I mean, 120 episodes, the scripts, the, not only just the original Batman, one of our, my costumes and one of Adam's costumes, but the villain's costume. They have a full Batmobile inside the museum. I mean, it's just amazing uh, mm -hmm. what they have. And you could spend a week in that museum and not mm -hmm. see everything there is from every major movie, you know, current movies, past movies, television shows, plays. It's just, it's, it's, it's the entire show business gamut at that incredible Hollywood museum. Yeah. When you're, when you're in that area, uh, what is it like for you to see so many people dressed up as, you know, Batman and Robin and superheroes in general? Well, you know, it makes me feel good that I'm not in that costume. I mean, <laughs> I'll tell you, when, when I went for my screen test, I had an agent who um, the only reason he took me is because a famous producer had recommended to ask him to do it as a favor because I helped that producer get his house. My father sold him his house and he was nice enough to send me to an agent who didn't really want to represent anybody more because he said he couldn't get work for the actors he had, but he took me because of this producer and ended up sending me out on what he didn't even know was uh, what it was for. He just said, uh, go tomorrow at four thirty over to 20th century Fox. Here's the address. And uh, you give them your name and they'll send you to a bungalow and you'll meet somebody. I don't know what it's for. It's some part that you could play, you know. Well, of course, you know, they have these what they call cattle calls where you have tons of people. But so I did that. And uh, I, I went over and I had no idea what it was for. And I met this casting director. Now, you have to understand, even though I had studied professionally to be an actor, I had never done anything. I had never even tried out for anything. I'd never been in the studio, so all of this was new. So I met the casting director. He asked me a couple of questions, and he said, would you like to meet the executive producer? I said, sure. I figured everybody got to meet the executive producer. <laughs> well, uh -huh. that's not the case, but I didn't know that. So I went in, and I, met, I was introduced to William Dozier, the executive producer, and I shook his hand firmly. I said, hello, sir. You know, I was just really kind of gung-ho. And he was taken aback because he never expected somebody to be that forward, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, he's got a great thing on the Internet where they interviewed him. He says, this kid comes into my office. He says, the minute he came in, he shook my hand. Hello, Mr. Dozier. He said, he says, he says, I've never seen such energy. I instantly knew that was Robin right there. <laughs> and anyway, but I mean, he didn't tell me that at the time. And uh -huh. he said to me, would you like to, would you like to, you know, have a screen test? I said, sure. I figured everybody got a screen test. Well, mm -hmm. that's not true either, but I didn't know that. So mm -hmm. I went for the screen test. And when I was there, I was introduced to this other actor named Adam West, who was also screen testing. And I, I sat down and I talked to him for about five minutes. And in five minutes, the two of us were laughing. We just got along so well. And, you know, we both got the roles. And we laughed for the next more than 50 years. Always had a great time, always good friends. But in the scene that we screen tested, this was not a Batman and Robin scene. I was handed a piece of paper, a single sheet, and all it said on there was a test at the top. And then it said Bruce with dial some dialogue. And it said, you know, Dick with some dialogue. There wasn't Bruce Wayne 
or Dick Grayson. It's just Bruce and Dick. You would never have any idea what that was. So I did the dialogue, and they also wanted to see some um, some martial arts because I, I, I was a brown belt in karate back in that time. It was only six years before that that karate had come to the United States for the first time. So in any event, I did some stuff, and then I thought I was all done. I said, well, thank you very much. I started to leave. They said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, you're not going anywhere. You need to go down to the other end of this soundstage and there's a couple of wardrobe guys there with a, in a dressing room. They're going to help you get dressed. I said, well, you know, no disrespect, but I'm perfectly capable of dressing myself. I don't need any help getting dressed. Oh, you don't know. <laughs> you just go on down there. You'll see. You know, they're giving me that stuff, uh-huh. right? So I figured, well, all right, you know. So I go down there. I go into this restroom, and, you know, these two guys are there. And, and I look down at this. It's like a gigantic couch. It's like 10 feet long. And I see all this stuff. And I said, am, am I putting some of this on? They said, no, you're putting all of it on. I said, what? <laughs> so they helped me get dressed in my, I'm telling you, the most uncomfortable costume, the most <laughs> uncomfortable thing I wore in my entire life. I could barely move. Everything hurt or itched or, or scratched. Everything was wrong, right? And, and I remember I could barely walk, but as I started to step out, of this dressing room to walk all the way back in, <laughs> in this horrible costume. Uh-huh. I turned to these two wardrobe guys, okay, and I said to them, I said, you know, there, there is light at the end of the tunnel here. The good news is that after another 15 or 20 minutes, I'll never have to wear this thing again. <laughs> Famous last words, right? <laughs> right. Famous last words. No, so was that, it? That, that, six weeks later, I got the role, and mm-hmm. I didn't even know I had the role for four of the weeks. And, and, and I got a call to go in to, to sign uh, my agents and come in and sign contracts. They said, oh, great. They're going to actually represent me formally. I'm going to sign an agreement that, I, that, that, you know, I have an agent now, formally have one. So I went in and I started to look at the paperwork. It didn't have the agency name on it. It said 20th Century Fox. I said, well, wait a minute. These aren't any agency contracts. They said, no, you got the series. Didn't the studio tell you? I said, no. And when the studio heard about it, they said, you mean your agents didn't tell you? Well, four of the six weeks that I'd been waiting, I didn't know that I had it, but the two people that did know it hadn't told me. <laughs> That's wild. And so the, the costume that you wore on the show, was it the same costume or was it any more comfortable? Oh, well, I got a chance to make some modifications. For example, uh, on, on, let's just take the mask. The mask, the way it was, it was irritating my eyelashes. It kept hitting my eyelashes every time I open and close my eyes, which makes it hard for you to memorize your lines or talk or do anything when you're uh-huh. something's touching your eyelashes. So they made the openings a little larger. Plus, the material was like causing a rash on my face, so they lined it with satin to make it smooth. And the same thing with the, with the red vest, all wool vest. Even though I had a T-shirt on, the minute they tightened up that vest, it was like, poking through the t-shirt poking <laughs> so i got him to put satin on the inside of that then the the, the 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 cape was double thick bridal satin and it was that long cape and it just pulled my head way back so what we figured out i came up with i said well look could you put some snaps on the inside of the cape that snap onto my vest i had them you know in in, in four places and 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 what that did is it took the weight you know what i mean off pulling my neck back 
Mm-hmm. And then there was the, the the tights, which I you couldn't really get around that. There was no way to make life easier in those tights. They pull uh-huh. the hair on your leg. Oh, my gosh. And in two minutes, you have a film of water between your leg and the tights. <laughs> so that was horrendous. The boots, they, they the boots were fine. So bottom line is I, 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 I made the best of it, and I got to where I could handle it. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. But it's uh, it's not the kind of thing you'd want to go out in public and walk around. With, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's not right. that comfortable. Yeah, yeah. So how about all the props? I know they have a lot of props at, at the museum and, and stuff. Um, did you ever get to keep any of the props? I only got one. Uh, I got, Well, I like two things. I got um, a batarang, which is oh, absolutely nice. fantastic. And and then I got I got um, my mask. Okay. Well, they had. Remember, they have multiples because of all right. the fight things. Everything be torn up. But I mean, I got a really perfect mask before it was. You know, I mean, we're enough. I used it for close-ups. You know, and but not where you know I was any fight scenes with it. So it's it's like pristine, and I have that in clear lucite. Mm-hmm. It's like a trophy. My so I've got my mask. But yeah. Other than that, and then I got a, oh I got a full costume as well. But over the years, I ended up donating that to to charity. They use that as a fundraiser. Yeah. Did you read uh, Batman comics at all before uh, getting the roles as Robin? No. In fact, where I lived, there weren't any Batman comics. Mm. There were Superman comics and Superboy. And and I'll tell you something. As a kid, I wanted to be Superboy. Okay. And I have photos of me. And I, I really believe that thoughts are things. If you really think about something long enough and hard enough, you can make it happen because I have my mother took photos of me at three years of age driving around on a little tricycle you know three three sided three wheel tricycle mm-hmm. with a bath towel around my neck <laughs> held together with a clothespin uh-huh. and that was my cape and that's all I thought about and you know after school uh, even even in high school I was kind of like um, I don't know a, a loner or whatever I didn't have uh, you know really any I just had one close friend that I only got to see very rarely. So I'd come home and I'd be outside just kicking a ball against the wall, running and, and, you know, exercise and stuff like that. And I daydream all about this, all about this. And, you know, it's so strange, but I really believe that thoughts are things that you can bring things about that way. And so in any event, I, you know, I, I never knew what I was trying out for until after I got it. And and even when I was in that costume, I still didn't know about Batman and Robin because I'd never seen a comic book about Batman and Robin. I right. knew it wasn't Superman, so mm-hmm. I didn't know if this was some kind of Shakespearean piece or what. <laughs> the mask, you know, they uh-huh. think, well, God, am I a good guy or a bad guy with this mask on? Uh-huh. So, you know, you're pretty young at the time when you're playing Robin, and there's so many veteran actors in, in the Batman series, right. the villains, and Alan Napier, Alfred. Uh, what was that like? To, was it ever intimidating at all, uh, any any of the uh, the other actors on set? No, not intimidating, but I was like the kid in the candy store, where every week I, I got to meet and work with somebody that either I watched on television or watched the movies, and it was just like I was awestruck. It was fantastic. I couldn't think of anything more amazing. I, I will tell you that there was one time when Vincent Price came on the set yeah. to play Egghead. I had seen it as a little boy, The Raven, which was really scary. So for a moment there, before I was introduced to him, I was actually a little afraid. You know? <laughs> because, you know, you're a kid. You're affected, yeah, I think. Of course. Right? You know? mm-hmm. But he was such a nice man. 
and he played Egghead. And of course, it was great because the final scene was the was the big battle, the fight scene at Old McDonald's Farm, right? I mean, it just it, it was just wonderful. And and the the people who the writers, the the scene decorators, everybody did their part to make Batman fun. You know, the mm-hmm. from you know the the angles that the cameraman shot of the villains' hideouts. I I didn't even understand why are they shot in an angle. They said, Bert, you don't know? I said, no. Why, do, why is your cameraman drinking? Why can't he shoot and <laughs> aim at the camera straight? He uh-huh. said, no, we purposely put him in an angle. I said, why? He says, because villains are crooked. So we made the camera angles crooked. I mean, and then, you know, you have things like villains hideout. It has a sign. You know what I mean? Hideout. Right? <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. It was all those kinds of crazy, campy things. And people just loved it. When we came on, and on January 12th, 1966, we became, because we're twice a week with a you know cliffhanger, the number one and number two show in the entire world in television. Number one and number two. And uh, it, it just, I mean, there were, it's, it's so hard to describe. There were, that women had Batman hairdos. There were kids that were putting on, you know, bath towels and, and, and jumping off their, their couches onto the floor wanting to be Batman and Robin. And so many people that I met, even after the show where I make appearances, these adults come up to me and, and, and all of a sudden they're talking like a kid again. Oh, I got to play Robin. My brother was Batman and I always wanted to be you. And, and you know, it's like, wow, it really affected people. Mm-hmm. And it's never seemed to lose popularity or continue to gain a new audience. Right. Well, we've got, you know, it's in reruns all over the country. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every generation, you know, watches Batman. It's clean. It's wholesome. There's never any real violence or blood or anybody really mm-hmm. hurt. You know, even even the, a chair gets broken over somebody's head and they fall down and they get right up and they're fighting again. <laughs> you know, right. it's like uh, it, it's, it's bigger than life and it's wholesome. And parents could feel comfortable that their kids could see all the excitement. And let me tell you, the hero worship of kids, oh, my gosh, riding in the Batmobile, climbing walls, fighting heinous villains. And, you know, to the adults and the college kids, we had some of the great dialogue. There was a scene where, where Batman and I are all of a sudden confronted by, like, these eight villains. And I, said, I, I turned to Batman and I said, Batman, there's eight of them against two of us. Odds in our favor. <laughs> right? because there was only eight right now if there had been 16 the odds might have been in their favor right right but yeah and it's weird because after that i think all the batman movies and a lot of them are great but they're all very dark uh none of them really uh went back to having like a fun batman in any of the films maybe the cartoons a little bit but none, none of the movies well the reason they did that was because of a theater audience they perceived as teenagers going on dates and college kids and stuff. So they wanted an edgier thing. But at the same time, there's a lot of kids that go out and see, you know, Disney movies and stuff like that that are made yeah. for kids. So we, 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 like Adam used to say that he, even though that the movies had the dark night, that he was the bright night. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Uh, did have you ever heard of this rumor that Clint Eastwood was going to play Two Face in season three if it was to, to happen? You, you know, I had a lot of rumors. I mean, there was rumors that, for example, Frank Sinatra was very upset because he getting couldn't play the Joker and he wanted to play the Joker. Mm. 
but Cesar Romero had been hired for the part. And of course, you know, Cesar Romero with that mustache, which he put the white makeup over, was even more hilarious. You know what I mean? Uh huh. Yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> that, what, what was uh, some of those guys like, like Offset, like Cesar Romero? Well, th- let me tell you, these, uh, for me as a kid to work with these actors that were such pros, I mean, such, it, it, was, it was just like, you know, it, it was an amazing opportunity and they were so good at what they did. And I'll tell you something, every one of these guest stars, they had the best time because remember, and the typical things they did, they were limited by character, but here they could all be bigger than life. Yeah. And, yeah. and they did. I mean, like the laugh of the Joker, the laugh of, 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 of Frank Gorshin as the Riddler, the, the <laughs> penguin with the strut and the, and the, and the, that cigarette holder. I mean, that's hilarious stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there's something. I mean, it's, I like all the villains, honestly. But uh, for me, Penguin was always my favorite. I even dressed up as uh, Burgess Meredith's version of Penguin for Halloween a few years <laughs> ago, and uh, was walking around Salem. I'm in Massachusetts. But uh, uh, what was Burgess Meredith like? Because uh, to me, he's a he seems like a real character. Even you know, uh, just him and him himself. Well, you know, now with him, he. He was always a just a really nice man. I saw him as like the consummate professional that just, you know what I mean? That knew exactly what to do. I mean, you know, and, and but 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 very dedicated and, and kind of an intense person. And, and if you remember in, in the Rocky movies, you know, yeah, he was yeah. Rocky Trainer. And, and he, he, he in, his, in person, he's kind of like that. Oh, really? It's interesting yeah. and, and yeah. a wonderful guy, but at the same time, he, he had a a great time. And and mm-hmm. all of these guys would would tell us like you know I mean, uh, and you could just see and 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 the ladies too. I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. we've got uh, you know so many great actresses that were in our you know Joan Collins with the Siren, you know, mm-hmm. um, Leanne Merriweather played Catwoman in the movie, and Julie Newmar played Catwoman on the show, and then there was Eartha Kitt that she got in one episode of Catwoman and, and we had great actors and actresses and, and, you know, it was just, it was, it was pretty spectacular and everybody, even the production people were taken aback with the huge success of Batman. I mean, and everybody really got into it. You know, everybody really had a good time. Yeah. Was it ever, uh, was it odd at all? Like when, when another uh, actor would take over a role, uh, one of the, the established roles, like, you know, John Astin's playing the Riddler. You know, it was a little bit different, but it, it you know what I mean? They had a good time and, yeah. you know, it, but yes, I, I was kind of like, uh, but, but he was a, a great actor and he was, did a wonderful job and I had fun meeting him and everything. So for us, we were, you know, we're kind of flexible. We understood that as much as it is that we were into it, that it was still, you know, it is still programming and, uh, you know, that there's a, I mean, they, it is a business and that's why they call it show business. Sure. So, um, we, we understood all of that, but we did have a really good time and, and every actor that was on that set was fantastic. And, and I mean, they got the cream of the crop. In fact, so many actors wanted to be on the set, right. Uh, or wanted to be villains and there wasn't enough villain roles. So <laughs> what they did, they created that short scene of walking up the side of the building and a window opens and uh-huh. there's, Sammy Davis Jr. or Jerry Lewis or 
any number of famous celebrities. We had Lurch. We had Colonel Clink. We had, I mean, Dick Clark. We had, oh my gosh, so many, you know, uh, uh, wonderful celebrities that, you know, then this is how we could get so many more on there. So every single show had a, had a, you know, a window scene, you know, and it was just terrific. Yeah. And it, you know, it's only on two seasons in the movie, but, um, you, you know, you would think it was on forever because there, you know, everyone's hot. See, kind of like the monsters too, is really only on two seasons, but it's, you know, an iconic well, no, we uh, TV three show. Seasons. We, no, we were three seasons. We oh, okay. were 120 three. episodes. Right. We had 26 episodes the first and second year each mm-hmm. and then the third year uh it was a it was a half so we it was 100 but you see remember we were doing two a week mm-hmm. so when you think so about it's a, it yeah it's a lot you know, of episodes. that's really like five years of programming for two and a half years of two a week yeah. you know uh and then the last year we just had one a week but but it, it you know 120 episodes and just think it took six days to make each half hour wow six days well, and just think of Six times a hundred, that's a 720 days <laughs> uh-huh. of work. You yeah. know, I mean, that, well, that's a lot of work. It'd be in a yeah. costume 14 hours a day. Uh-huh. Right? What was that schedule like? I mean, you're, you know, you're a young you know, man and stuff. So maybe it's not uh, so bad, you know, but uh, was that, was that a grueling schedule? Well, let me tell you what was actually hard. And I, because I hadn't done anything before, you know, you come to the set, you get in makeup and oh my God, all this makeup on your face. Then you get into the most uncomfortable costume in the world. Then you go out into the set and you wait and you wait and you wait like 45 minutes while they light a set and, oh, this, this, this particular thing isn't right and go fix that light and go move that cable. And oh my God, it goes on and on and on. After 45 minutes, you work for 30 seconds. And then right. you wait another 45 minutes. Oh, right. my gosh. And, and I'm an active person, right? And, uh-huh. and plus, I was the youngest one on the set. I was 20 years old, going on 21. The closest person in age to me was Adam. He was 37 years of age. And then all the rest of the crew, these guys, because, you know, the studios have the best of the best, the best cameramen, the best lighting people. All these guys were in their 50s. You know, mm-hmm. And some of the women there, too, they're in their 50s and 60s. So the only one cl- even close to my age was nearly twice my age was Adam West. Uh. So for me, it was kind of like, you know, the other young people my age at 20 years of age and college kids and stuff like that. Because uh, I, I had dropped out in my third year at UCLA. I, my, the dean was very upset at, my, at UCLA that I left. He wanted me to be a nuclear physicist because I placed in the top 3% of the country and and, and math and science on the college level. And, uh, but in any event, I wanted to, to do this, but it, nevertheless, it, it's different. Now, when I got out of the sound stage and made my first personal appearance, uh, like three months later, uh, that weekend, Adam West was filled Shea stadium in New York, which is pretty big. <laughs> uh-huh. I made an appearance up in Tacoma, Washington at a mall that over that weekend, that I was there Saturday and Sunday, the people had actually been sleeping on the streets outside of the mall for, since the Wednesday before. And when I got there, they, the, over that two day period, they handed out 310,000 raffle tickets. Oh, wow. And it was, just, it was gigantic. And, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you kind of a funny story. I was walking along in this mall to, cause I had to dress it one end and walk all the way to the other end. 
but they, the, the mall had rented the University of Washington football team, the first 11 guys, uh, offense and defense. They have 22 guys kind of like, well, they're more like ushers than bodyguards, but really, you know, still, a, you know, to keep peace and everything. But yeah. we're walking this long forever to get to the other end of the mall. And it was funny because coming the other way were these two elderly ladies. And I don't believe that they had seen Batman or aware of the TV series, right? But they saw me in this costume and one turned to the other and said, huh, damn hippie. You know? <laughs> I thought I was a hippie because of my costume, uh, right? right? Just the opposite of a hippie. Uh, but in any event, and then that the, the crowds, you, I couldn't even get, it took 20 minutes once I get to where I was supposed to, to say hello to people, to actually get up onto the stage they put together. They couldn't get it. The crowds were just unbelievable. It was just mm-hmm. a mass amount of people, just massive. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, have you, um, when you were filming at the Batcave at Bronson Cave, like I think now people yeah. think of it as the Batcave, um, but at that right. time, like, did you know that like a lot of like old science fiction movies were filmed there and stuff? Like, did you have any like idea of like the history of the cave at that time? No, I didn't, but I do have a relatively powerful memory of the event. What happened was it was my first day of filming, the very first day, right? What could possibly go wrong on your first day? I'm there at 7 a.m. in the the morning, way up in top of Hollywood Hills at this cave, 7 in the morning, in makeup, in costume, and they say to me, Bert, today we're going to film you coming out of the Batcave in the Batmobile, okay? So Uh go into the cave. Get into the Batmobile, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and then you're going to drive out and we're going to film it. And that's basically what they said. So I go up there and I walk into this cave and I put the costume on and everything. And it's dark. I can't see right away. You know, it's, 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 it's hard. To, and I'm trying to focus. But I finally found the Batmobile there. And I got in the car and I looked over and I thought it was Adam West. But you know how you can tell something is different? I mean, it didn't seem like Adam. So I said, Adam? And he said, no, my name is Hubie. I said, oh, well, why, why are you dressed as Batman? He says, because I'm a stunt man. This is a very dangerous stunt. And the studio doesn't want to take a chance of Adam West getting hurt. So they hired me to do this. I said, well, that's great. That's great. Well, I certainly want Adam to get hurt. And then I'm starting to sit, sitting there and I'm saying to myself, I said, well, did you say this is a dangerous stunt? He said, oh, absolutely. And I said, oh, well, why is it dangerous? well, we have to come out of this cave at 55 miles an hour straight at the camera. I've got to make a very sharp turn and it's going to skid the back end of the car around towards the camera. And then I got to zoom off in the direction of Gotham City. I said, oh, okay. And I said, you know, what's it like being stunned, man? He says, you know, he says, I love it. He says, the only problem is I, the more broken bones I get, the more money I get. So, you know, I, I, we, we take lots of risks. <laughs> Wait a minute! Broken bones. Uh, uh, and now I hear him say, "Okay, let's let's roll it up." You know, when they roll it up, that means they're gonna they're gonna close down the opening of the cave, and you know what I mean. They're they're getting mm-hmm. ready to film. I said, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! There must be a mistake here, right?" Uh-huh. So so the second assistant director comes over, right, and he says, "Bert, what's the problem?" Okay, and and I said, "Well, it, it, this man is a stuntman." He says, "Yeah, we know." He says, but yeah, but he's telling me this is a dangerous stunt. And he says, yes. He says, I know that. I said, but I said, why don't I have a stunt man? He said, oh, you do. I said, oh, great. Well, where is he? Oh, I think he's over having coffee with Adam West. 
I said, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If this is a dangerous stunt and I have a stuntman, why uh-huh. am I sitting here in the seat and the stuntman isn't? Oh, well, we can't use him. You can't use him? Why not? Oh, he doesn't look like you. <laughs> well, well, why would you hire somebody to be my stuntman uh-huh. if he doesn't look like me? We couldn't uh-huh. find anybody else. And I said, besides, besides the cameras on your side, you have a thin little mask. And when you come by, the, even though you're coming by at 55 miles an hour, we're st- still going to see a clear shot of your face. But we got to make sure everybody knows it's you. I said, okay, all right. So anyway, <laughs> here we go. We come out at 55 miles an hour. We, the stuntman was perfect. He goes right at 55 miles an hour. At the last minute, he makes a sharp left turn. But unexpectedly, my door flies open. When my door oh, wow. flew open, it hit the cameraman on that little camera truck, knocked him off, knocked the camera over, knocked over a giant arc lamp. In those days, they didn't have the cool lights. They had the super hot arc lamps. If they, This thing weighed thousands of pounds. If it had landed on somebody, it would have killed them. Okay? Mm-hmm. This thing fell over, and I was thrown towards the opening in the door, but just by, you know, I don't know, reaction or whatever, I threw my arm behind me, and, and my little finger actually wrapped around the gear shift knob that, that Batman was using. And, and, uh, and it, but it pulled my finger out of joint. I mean, just like, and oh, gosh, that hurts. I had never had that happen. So when they came over and said, Burr, are you okay? I said, yeah, but my hand is hurting. And even though I had a glove on, my finger had already swollen like twice normal size. They said, oh, my gosh, we got to get you to a hospital because it looks like you probably had your finger pulled out of joint. I said, yes, it's killing me. They said, okay, great. Come on out. I said, okay. I got out of the car. They helped me out. I said, well, where's the car? And they said, what car? Well, the one to take me to the hospital. Oh, you can't leave now. We haven't gotten a shot. I said, but my hand. I, you know, they said, no, no, no. We got, we've got a whole crew of men here. We've got 80 guys on the crew. It costs us like $30,000 a minute. You, you've got to stay. At 12 noon, I left for the hospital. Okay? And that mm-hmm. was the first of four days in a row that I was in the emergency hospital from second-degree burns to a two-by-four landing on my nose, breaking my nose. I'm telling you, I didn't think I was going to survive the first week. <laughs> and, but I'll tell you, the studio was very smart. The mm-hmm. studio said, Bert, we're going to take care of this. Don't you worry about it. I said, oh, great. Well, I said, well, what are you going to do to take care of it? They said, we just took out a $30 million life insurance policy on you. I said, oh, well, that's comforting. <laughs> <laughs> right. and, and, and I'll tell you something. By the end of the third season, I think they were trying to collect on that policy. <laughs> I'm telling you. Uh-huh. Well, I'm glad they didn't. Glad you're, you're here. No, I'm glad they didn't either. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, uh, I got a lot of questions here on uh, social media when I mentioned you're going to come on. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see. Brian Clutter wants to know, uh, did you ever forgive Conan O'Brien for trying to steal the Robin costume? You know, that is such a funny thing. I was voted man of the year at Harvard University, even though I didn't go there. I went to UCLA uh, in 1984. Okay. And I went to Harvard University and I was giving a speech. And I had my costume because I didn't want to wear it. I wanted, to, you know, I wanted to be able to talk and, and answer questions because <laughs> it was, you know, for the students. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, these two guys come running up and they say, you know, we've had a report. This costume is in 
potential danger. We're going to keep it backstage here. And I thought it was the people there, you know, it was the re- the real thing. And then of course, when it turned out that it wasn't okay. Oh, I actually got mad because that costume was worth a half a million dollars. I mean, that was serious <laughs> money. That yeah, costume. yeah. I mean, because that was the costume from the show. You know, one of the mm. one of the f- ones that we filmed in, right? Mm. And they gave it back, and it was so funny because uh, years later, I was uh, 1996 because that was 1984, and then it was 12 years later that I went on Conan's show because I was promoting a book that I had written called "Boy Wonder yeah. My Life in Tights," and uh, he, we both had a laugh about that. But no, I, I, I mean. It was a little upsetting at the time because I thought it really was stolen. You, right, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, but, of course. Uh, no, I got it back, and it was in perfect condition. But that just shows you Conan, is, a, is he's got a real great sense of humor, a very, very funny man, very talented man. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of Conan. Was that fun to go on the on Conan's show? I remember, you know, I remember the time you being on there. Oh yeah, it, it was fun, and uh, you know he, you know he's a very funny man, so we asked him pretty funny questions but he got some pretty funny answers back yeah. so he was really uh you know what i mean he, he was kind of surprised by it but it turned out great and uh you know people loved it and you can see it on the internet you know so yeah yeah it, it, was, uh, you, it, it that, was fun and you know i've got my screen original screen test is on the internet um mm-hmm. interviews with the cast other cast members and with the executive producer william dozier's on the internet it's amazing the internet is like a it's got like the biggest hard drive in the world. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. It keeps all like these it there. wonderful things for in perpetuity that you mm-hmm. can go back and watch from years ago. Yeah, yeah, it is really amazing. I know, especially right now, everyone's uh, you know stuck, uh, uh, not necessarily inside, but you know around their house, and you you have you right. have the internet here, and there's so many. Uh, if, if this would have been twenty years ago or thirty years ago, it would be a much more boring time. It would be very, very hard on people. I agree with mm-hmm. you. So I, the book is like really hard to get. Uh, like it goes for a lot of money if you can find an old copy, like on Amazon or something. Have you ever thought of right. uh, writing a new book and having you know, updated with uh, for the, over the last you know decade or so? You, you know, if I get a chance to do it, but but my wife Tracy has got me doing so many things with these events and this charity yeah. and that charity. I you know. I, I know it may sound kind of strange, but I actually work seven days a week, seven mm-hmm. days a week, you know, and, uh, you know, and of course I tell everybody the first hundred years are the hardest after that, it's pretty smooth sailing, right? <laughs> uh-huh. but those first hundred right. years. But, so I, I, and, and if I, I would love to do that. I would love to have peace and quiet. I'd love to have a day <laughs> off. Okay. Uh-huh. But I, my wife is, uh, she's a taskmaster, you know, she, we got to do this. We got to do that. You know, and she has so much energy. And I used to think that I had like incredible amounts of energy compared to the average person. Uh-huh. Well, she out energizes me. I mean, she has so many things she wants to do. And I sit there and listen and listen. And I actually get exhausted just listening to all the things that she wants to do. <laughs> <laughs> never stop. She never, it never, it's just, you know, and it's so funny because, uh, you know, uh, and I, because people, when I was growing up, say, oh, Bert, you have so much energy. Just wear all of us out, just with all your ideas, and you want to go do this. And I love sports. So besides being a black belt in karate, I love to play tennis and golf. And I did all these things, you know, that I, I my, uh, that I, I just w- have had the most wonderful life. I'm so fortunate. And, and now I see what they, what they mean when they say you, you can wear somebody out by just the energy you have. And I watch my wife. <laughs> got so much energy i mean i have energy and i work seven days a week but 
Uh, he could just go 24 hours a day. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's like, I, I, you know, I, I'm human. I have to sleep a little bit, you know? Yeah. I understand, totally understand. Several people asked this. Uh, Rob, Robbie is the first one, so I'll mention him. Uh, what was yeah. it like? What was it like starring on Crisis on Infinite Earths for uh, CW Network? Well, that was so much fun. I'll tell you, I was surprised. I got uh, an offer to be on the, uh, on the Supergirl episode. They actually ended up, from what I heard, they used it on all five because all five of the shows that they have on you know, on that CW network, we're going through the crisis thing. So they used it. And what they did is they used my little segment cameo role right in front of the main titles, which was really cool because everybody got to see it. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody was so nice. And then, you know, and I went up there to film people saying like, oh, you're a legend. You're an icon. And I said, that, that sounds very prehistoric. You know? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm, right. I'm from the same century. I'm not from another century here, you know. <laughs> but it was right. a lot of fun. Everybody's yeah. so nice. And uh, and uh, it it was just great. And, and here's the interesting thing. You know, I had forgotten because, again, I told you I hadn't read the comic books. Later mm-hmm. on, I went through some of the Batman comic books because DC Entertainment asked me to do some stuff for them that I needed to know that stuff. But I get up there. And, and, you know, I, they said, oh, we've got a, a, a German shepherd. We have this dog for you to be walking. You're going to be walking this dog. And I thought, well, geez, maybe because I operate the largest giant breed dog rescue in the world, they figured I'd be good with dogs, if, you know, so they have this dog. And, of course, you know, I'm an expert handler. But, so, uh, but then, I, then I found out from one of the people on the set, they said, oh, no, no, this is all part of the comic book. I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, don't you remember there was the famous bat dog named Ace, Ace the Bat Dog. And that's right. I said, oh, my God, how I forgot. And Ace the Bat Dog was a German shepherd. So, I mean, they, these people that, that, are, that are doing the show, they are meticulous about detail. They are so meticulous. And it was just a great thing. It was just – and so I'm not sure how many people, you know what I mean, yeah. fully understood it. But, you know, that's, that, yeah. that, they were very exacting, you know? Yeah. And, and cool. I had a great time. Vancouver's a great place. The people are great. You know, and I've always gotten along with DC, which is the division of Warner Brothers in the DC Comics. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they're very, very, I, I, I always got along. And everybody's been so nice to me. And, and I've just, and vice versa, had a good time with them. So, uh, you know, it, it was great. And of course, I did the two movies for Warner Brothers two full-length feature, animated features that came out a couple of years ago. Um, Batman Return of the Cape Crusaders and then Batman, you know, versus Two-Face. Uh, I, I did the voice of Robin. Adam West did the voice of Batman. And, and in the case of Batman versus Two-Face, I mean, um, William Shatner did the voice of Two-Face. So here you have the actors from the two most iconic television shows in history. Mm-hmm. Batman and Star Trek working together. I thought that was the greatest casting. And William Shatner is fantastic. Uh, he is very, very nice to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he was a great guy. And he's very funny. And I'm telling you, this man is, you talk about quick and on his feet. He is, it's like a razor. He's so sharp. He, you know, mm-hmm. he just, he thinks very quickly. Really, really great experience working with him. Yeah, he seems similar to to Adam West with a like a similar dry sense of humor. I would think. 
Uh, Michael McCurdy wants to know, do you have a favorite celebrity cameo appearance on Batman? Oh, geez. You know, every one of these, you know, cameo appearances. I mean, meeting Sammy Davis Jr., um, uh, Jerry Lewis, I mean, Lurch. Uh, it, it, <laughs> there were so many of them. Uh, Betty White, uh, Don Ho, the famous Hawaiian singer that used to sing the song Tiny Bubbles. I mean, there was just, I mean, I just had so much fun. I, I, I think I think meeting the, 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 the most fun I had, I think, was meeting and working with the stars that were on the show for like, you know, the six days that we made the two half, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the half hours. And yeah. That to me was the most fun because I got to know them and got to be able to, you know, remember I told you, it's like you, you, you sit around for 45 minutes while they light and then you work for 30 seconds or maybe if you really have a lot of work, you work for a minute, right? But, right. But then the rest of the time I got the chance to talk to these people and wow, I mean, just so brilliant in their experiences. And another thing I had a really great time with most people would never think is I always enjoyed talking to the stuntmen. Let me tell you, they could tell you stories of stunts and things that went wrong, but oh, some of the most fascinating, horrible things. <laughs> but it would just capture your kids. I could just like, I could listen to these stunt guys all day long. And all I remember when, I mean, they told me a story how one of them had to come out of a, it was a Western thing. And, and they, they had this thing where you get, they get knocked out of the second floor and they fall on their back like they, they've been shot, right? And mm-hmm. they fall into a mattress that is off off the camera, right? And they tell the story how the guy, and this is the guy that did it. He said that, you know, he got the mattress, everything right. He'd already done a test fall and now he's going back up to film. And an associate producer comes on the set and says, wait a minute, that, that mattress is too far out. We got to push that mattress closer <laughs> to the building. Uh-huh. You know, the guy doesn't know anything because you, you, your body actually carries you. you. You understand? Right, right. And this guy had them push into the building. The guy came out and landed on his back and it broke his back. Oh, wow. Okay. And so for three years, when he healed, he couldn't stand up straight. And then he did another movie where he was on one of these ships, these uh, giant sailboats. And, he, and he's like a, a pirate, and he gets knocked off way up high, and he's supposed to fall into the ocean, and they timed it wrong, and he fell onto the deck of the boat, broke his back again, but this time when he healed, he can walk straight again. <laughs> <laughs> it broke it back into place. <laughs> That's right. I mean, and it's, you know, and here I am, like, you know, a kid, and I hear him in this costume, and I, I tell you, the whole thing was just like, I don't know. It's, it's it's like from a different world. Mm, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, uh, Jerry wants to know, uh, what was the scene like with the tigers and having raw meat being thrown at you? Uh, well, it wasn't thrown at me. What happened was this. There's a Catwoman scene, and there's the thing where I'm on a plank with my head over the end of the plank, my arms tied at my side, and I'm above three live Bengal tigers, okay? These were not trained tigers. You, they, I, 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 these were wild tigers. And um, they have handlers, okay? But they, they, you know, and they're very careful how they do it so they don't get killed. But so just imagine, I was over, I was on this plank 12 feet above the tigers. As I found out later, they can jump 15 to 18 feet. They could easily have gotten me, okay? And... And then 
the camera crew was 10 feet above me in a steel cage, fully protected. <laughs> and I'm down there right over these tigers. So the director said, okay, camera action. And the tigers were just kind of milling around. It's just cut, cut, cut. We got to do something more about this. So see if you can get the tigers to look up. So what they did is the, the, the handlers, I mean, they don't handle them like you walk a dog. I mean, believe me, they're, they're, they're like with these long poles and stuff. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. they easily get killed. These are wild tigers. They're not, you know, friendly. Anyway, so uh, they started tapping around me, and the tigers were looking up at me. And this director, safely in his steel cage, says, well, that's really not enough. Can't you do something more? So they, they oh, to keep them calm, they constantly are feeding them. You know what I mean? So they're not yeah. hungry, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they hung meat above my head to get the tigers to jump up to try to get the meat. And my God, when a tiger jumps directly at you, you know, it's like, man, I'm pulling against my bonds, but I'm tied down. And afterwards, everybody said, oh, Bert, that was the most realistic acting I've ever seen. I said, acting? What are you crazy? I'm, I'm trying, I could get killed. Those paws, I mean, they're the size of a baseball mitt. You know? Uh-huh. And, but that's the kind of thing that happened on Batman, and that's why I had many visits to the emergency hospital. I got to be friendly with the various doctors <laughs> on duty at the emergency hospital because I was there so often. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they I'd come in, burns, and this, that. Oh, back again, Bert. What's it today? <laughs> you know? Uh. <laughs> oh, um, my goodness. Billy, Billy Pond wants to know, uh, what are your memories of Bruce Lee during the Green Hornet uh, crossover? Well, uh, well, here's a piece of trivia. Uh, several pieces of trivia. Number one, Bruce Lee's fir- first filmed fighting of his you know, entire cinematic career. And of course he became the most famous martial artist, cinema martial artist in the world by far. Okay. His first film fight scene of his career was fighting me on Batman. Oh, wow. And a lot of people thought, Oh, weren't you scared of Bruce Lee? And I said, no, no, no. Actually, Bruce and I lived in the same complex of condominiums mm-hmm. and we were friends. And we used to spar together. That's where you, they, they, where you, it's like fighting, but you pull the punches. And we used to go down to Chinatown to have dinner. And I remember with his wife, Linda, and at the time, his son, Brandon, was six months of age. And we went down to Chinatown one time and had, you know, because Bruce had lived in Hong Kong for 10 years. So he knew all the most authentic foods that weren't even on the menu. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, was a, it was fantastic. But we were friends and uh, unbelievable. He trained eight hours a day every single day eight hours a day the guy was in incredible shape mm. uh jeff burr wants to know um who your favorite director on the batman series was you know um we had some great directors and great writers um one the the actual my favorite director um was um the gentleman that directed the pilot. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, uh, he, he, his name was Bob and he was, he was an amazing director. And, and the reason why I, I liked him so much is that on the pilot, instead of shooting, remember I told you it took, um, six days to make each half hour. Well, we, yeah. you know, they spent a lot more time on that. We, we actually spent three weeks 
And so the, and so the director's name was, um, well, I called him Bob, but his name was Robert Butler. Fantastic director. But he was so artistic, the way he would, you know, well, you cross and do this, and when, when, when you know, uh, Commissioner Gordon does this, you do that. And, I mean, it, it was like a, like a ballet. I mean, it was just beautifully, you know, staged. Mm-hmm. And it was really terrific. In fact, one of my favorite lines uh, on Batman that uh, occurred when uh, that he was directing were uh, Batman uh, and we're, we're talking to the to the um, Commissioner Gordon and Stafford Rep. Um, and uh, Commissioner Gordon says, you know, any one of these villains could wreak havoc on Gotham City. This is for the, the Batman movie. OK, mm-hmm. he, he, he did part of it. And then there was another director. Leslie Robinson, uh, Leslie Robinson, uh, excuse me, Martin Martinson, Leslie Martinson, that directed the main part of the movie, but he did this one scene anyway. So, uh, um, Commissioner Gordon says to Batman, any one of these heinous villains could wreak havoc on Gotham City, but mm-hmm. imagine the four of them: the Riddler, the Penguin, the Catwoman, the Joker, Batman. What do you think they have in mind? And Batman, you know, Adam very stoically says. I think their minimum objective is the entire world. <laughs> That's their minimum objective, right? And, <laughs> you know, it was that kind of craziness. And, and we had so much, and Adam was so great. Oh, my God. He was, he was, and, and, you know, people would say to me, well, you know, he's so kind of rigid and stilted and this and this and that. You know what I mean? Yeah. What's he like in person? And I say, He's exactly the same. <laughs> Although when he laughs, all, all of a sudden he's like a kid laughs and this and that. But then he becomes, he likes to think of himself in a very grand way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, oh, uh, you know, like, like a prime minister or <laughs> he, he, he doesn't, you know, and, it, uh, and it's like, I remember he told me one time, he said, you know, he said, you know, Bert, he said, here in the 60s, you have the three beans. I said, what's the three beans? Well, Batman, the Beatles, and Bond, right? And Uh-oh. so, I mean, he thought of these very grand, grand, you know, and then he came to me one time and said, you know, I was watching the Ten Commandments last night, and I really got to understand how deeply important Batman is after watching the Ten Commandments. I said, oh, okay, well, well, how do you figure it? He said, when I watched Charlton Heston as Moses parting the Red Sea. He said, then I really understood the power that someone has to reaching people all around the world. And I went like, oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he thought of himself in this grand, far bigger than anything. You know, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And, and, and it, was, it was hilarious. And, but, but he was such a nice guy. And, and you know, the more... Stilted, and, and I don't mean in a negative way, but just kind of a stoic. We're kind of this, you know, it's like, yes, Robin, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. And I'm like, yeah, Batman, but this and this and that and that and this. The, the more slower he got, the more faster I got. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was the exact opposite of everything he did. And, and it just made for this chemistry. I'm telling you, from the first time we worked together, he, we would even out in public on weekends, sometimes we'd play tennis. And people would look at us, and one and the other is, oh my God, it's Batman and Robin playing tennis, <laughs> you know. And uh-huh. and, and uh, people, or or if we just stood next to each other without even saying anything, people would start laughing. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly why, but there was this <laughs> perception of our character because he's just so grand and so stoic. And I'm like this never grew up kid, you know, mm-hmm. eternally, you yeah. know, a 16 year old type of thing. You know what I mean, I mean, in the uh-huh. series, I was 15 and a half. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like the contrast of the characters. It totally works. You know, you, like you said, the very stoic, uh, dry sense of humor and then the very uh, hectic, you know, uh, exuberance of Robin. Right. Well, you know, in the in history, though, the greatest comic duos have always had, you know, extreme contrast. Mm. Harl and Hardy, you know, yeah. one very heavy set and one very skinny, you mm-hmm. know, um, uh, yeah, uh, uh, even, uh, yeah. even, the Abin Costello or Johnny Carson and Ed, Mc, Ed McMahon, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, they're contrast, you know, you, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so with Adam and I, there was uh, this, this tremendous contrast, but at the same time, we were two people that just had the best time together. Honestly, we could sit and talk about any subject and the two of us start laughing. Mm-hmm. Just no matter what it was. And I don't know exactly why we laughed, but we had the best time. Now, <laughs> when we were laughing on the set, that did not that did that did not go over well. <laughs> right, the directors. Yeah, I mean, and you have to understand: here you're in the most uncomfortable costume. He's in his, and I'm in mine, and you've got these hot arc lamps. I'm telling you, it's like you can get a suntan under them. They're so hot. Uh-huh. And here you're working all day in the hot light, and you start to get you know like a little dizzy in the late afternoon. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Get, you know. And and if something happened that made us laugh, the two of us could not stop laughing. I remember one director said to me, you two guys are going to laugh me out of the business. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't yeah. help it. Right. Because he would look at my, he would look at me and, and we'd have to look at each other. And when I look at him, I start laughing because he's cross-eyed in his mask. Cross-eyed mm-hmm. in his mask. He looked at me and said, you look like a raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And this is pre-digital, oh, you know, film itself costs a lot of money. Uh-huh. Oh my God, it's like $30,000 a minute is some ridiculous thing. It was incredibly expensive. Yeah. You know, millions of dollars were about making the show, tens of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. So what, what would you say, like, because you said worldwide, what would you say is like some of the experiences, you know, in other countries that really stand out to you, you know, making appearances? Well, you know, I really haven't made appearances anywhere other than Canada. Oh, really? Um, I, 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 yeah, I, I, I've been offered to go there, but, you know, uh, like, for example, I have a standing offer if I want to fly 19 hours to Australia. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I probably wouldn't want to. If I have to autograph and fly 19 hours back, it's not exactly. But what, what my wife actually has come up with, we have there's a new technology that we're doing virtual appearances where for all intents and purposes I'm there. um, And the way it works, it's like having a big 85 inch screen that there is this uh, little device that goes on the screen that I have my machine at home and people can talk to me. I can answer questions just like we're talking now instantaneous. There's no delay or lag or anything. And where I can sign an autograph, for them, okay, and they get the autograph picture on their end because we have somebody there with the real autograph pictures I signed. But the thing I signed with actually uses a 
a, a Sharpie, which is what I use, and it precisely matches my signature. Even if I added the words like, you know, hi, Dave, or hi, Betty, yeah. or whatever, it would write that out as I'm writing it out. That's and, pretty and wild. And what makes it even better than, in some cases, a real appearance is because mm-hmm. in my real appearances, people got the, the autograph, and they did get to shake my hand, but then, you know, they would leave, and their, their only souvenir was the memory and the actual autograph photo. But now they can leave, and they actually have a video of the appearance because their picture shows up uh, on, on their own screen with my, you know, my picture's full size, and then in yeah. the corner is their picture. So here they leave with something they can take home and they can show their family. They can put out on the internet. And, you know, I met the yeah, Warren. That's pretty amazing. He, he, I asked him this question and he said, that, I mean, it's like a, a personal video, which really makes it every bit as special as actually being there. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I, you know, when you first started saying about the virtual thing, I got it, but then I didn't know like all that other things, like you could sign something, you know, uh, and that totally makes sense. And then like, and then keeping the video, yeah, that's, that's a pretty awesome experience. And uh, especially right now, you know, right. it's, I mean, uh, they, it's very useful. It, yeah. Because they get the autograph picture with the real signature on it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And they, and they, and they, they get, they, they get, you know, I get a chance to talk to them and they get a video that is like a permanent visual memory that, you know, they can see at home, they can put it on a disc, they, you know, whatever they like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, f- for like fan art or anything like someone has made, like, you know, you know, Batman related, uh, does, I assume people make stuff and give to you over the years. Any, anything stand out like that? Yeah. I have some great gifts from people. Uh, you know, there's uh, some people that made some wonderful Shakespeare heads that you actually bend the head back and turn on the light. And, uh, I mean, it looks just like the one we had on Batman. Oh, there's nice. bat phones. Um, there's, there's other things that uh, are really cool. Uh, somebody, in fact, I've got a picture here that somebody gave me, they painted and it's Robin holding Scooby-Doo, you know, <laughs> now, uh-huh. that, that was taken from a, from the old Hanna-Barbera Scooby-Doo where Batman and Robin met Scooby-Doo, but he gave it to me because he knew that I rescued great Danes and Scooby-Doo was a great Dane. Mm, yeah. So great, there's a great connection there. Yeah. On my wall from a fan that painted that which is really a great memento, you know? Yeah, definitely. That's, that's amazing. So uh, again, I want to let everyone know, and I'll have the website up on, on our website, uh, gentle giants, And you go there and learn about, uh, about your great dog food. And now it's at Walmart and target. So, you know, it's available for everybody. And, uh, it's been great to talk with you. Well, thank you. And, and by the way, uh, this month we have kind of a special, cause we just brought our dog food into target stores. So mm-hmm. anyone that goes in and gets a, um, a, a picks up a bag of Gentle Giants dog food, any the large bags are like our, we have a chicken and we have a beef with bacon, any of those, and, and right, they can email, because it's right on our website, my email address, a copy of their receipt and take a picture with their cell phone. I'm sending every one of those people a personalized autograph photo from the series that I had actually written the detail of this particular scene that it was from, plus personalized to them. It's like when I go to these comic cons, these, these arenas, they charge like $100, and, and your listeners can get it absolutely free just for this month of April by putting, uh, you know, uh, picking up a bag at Target. It's kind of a kickoff for Target uh, bringing our dog oh, food into, awesome. into their stores all across the country. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, I love it's that. fun for me as long as my hand doesn't fall off, right? <laughs> sure, exactly. Yeah. And uh, Bert, you're a really great guy, and I really appreciate that. Uh, first, that you came on, and also that you seem, you know, you love, uh, you love your time with Batman, and you seem to love the people, and you love your animals. You seem like a, you know, a really genuinely very nice good man. Well, thank you. That's very kind. You know, and I'm very happy. You know, mm-hmm. and um, and and I have a wonderful life, and I have wonderful family, and and the people that I've met. So many wonderful people, and a lot of them are fans that grew up watching Batman, and and it just you know it it's touching because mm-hmm. you know we're all on this planet for such a short period of time, and uh, you know I, I, every day I try to make you know the best I can with my life and try to bring happiness to other people's lives, and it, it's very rewarding, and I'm very happy. My wife is an incredibly wonderful person, as I told you, she's totally into charity. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's just there's one of our dogs talking. That's that five-year-old I was telling you about earlier. <laughs> yeah, she wants me to go outside and chase her in the rain. It's raining out now, and she uh-huh. thinks she's going to play that game with me. And I'm not going out in the rain and chase her right now. Uh-huh. So, uh, but in any event, yeah, no, it, I, I'm very happy, and and I, you know, I, I love the people that grew up watching Batman because it meant a lot to so many people, millions, millions of people all over the world. And we were Batman was in 140 countries, so yeah. it's uh, you know it's pretty pretty spectacular. I'm 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 very fortunate, and uh, you know I care about our fans, and uh, so you know, and I care about obviously animals, and and uh, so I invite your listeners, you know, if you want your dog to have a chance to live to 27 and a half years, go get some Gentle Giants dog food at Walmart or Target or online Walmart.com, Chewy.com. And, you know, this is a, it's a great thing for your animal, and we're here trying to make a better world for all of us. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate this. Well, thank you, citizen. What shall I say? To the Batmobile! Holy fly paper! <laughs> <laughs>